And, and so, uh, but uh, she's there and she sends her regards and uh, she says she loves you. So yeah, the Lord is, uh, I'm just going to get into this. I don't know how to do an intro, but um, it must have been three weeks ago or four weeks ago, your, uh, Tim Tatum put something on Facebook and, and it was the announcement that your house was going up for sale. So like right now, their house is for sale and they're driving every Sunday morning three hours to come to church. Is that, that's, is that a fair, yeah. Like three hours, like that's convicting, right? It's like, oh, I'm so tired. I, I have to struggle anyway. Anyway, they're coming three hours and she posted something and I made a quick comment and I just said revival family. And, uh, and I, that's not, I haven't said that before, up until that point, but I've obsessed over that, those two words ever since then. And, uh, and I felt like the Lord said, that's what I'm actually doing in your midst. See, when we started this church um, 18 months ago, um, I've always been passionate for revival. That's, that's, like, that's what I feel like I eat, live, sleep, and breathe for. Um, but we had very different intentions on what we thought this thing was going to look like. And, and I want you to understand that what we want things to look like, it's typically better to just go with what the Lord wants because it's going to be so much more than you ever asked, thought, or imagined for anyway. And so, so I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I'm building a revival family. I'm like, what is that? Like, I don't, I like, I think I know what that is, but like, realistically, what is that? So then I started praying and I started thinking, like, Every great revival that has ever happened in history has also ended. It has. The Hebrides revival, the Azusa Street revival, the Great Holiness revival, the Amer uh, 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 First and Second Great Awakenings. I mean, they, they went and they went out. And, and someone says, well, no kidding, because revival by definition means to bring something back to life that was dead. But I think it's something so much more than that as well. And... Uh, I think it's actually just something that if we steward it well, that it could actually begin to not only continue, but to gain momentum and to increase. And not only does it gain momentum and increases, it actually transforms the society around us. Like you understand, and like I offend people with this all the time, and, and it used to be lyric, like, like it's, it's not a problem with not... It, oh, Having the great commandments in school, not in school isn't a problem with public leadership, with the government. It's actually at home because we don't have those Ten Commandments in our homes. Does that make sense? I'll aim you myself, so I like that point. So, 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 so and, and, then, and then me standing on a corner yelling and screaming is not going to transform society. It just, it just doesn't work. I just don't think it works. But if the church begins to burn hot enough, it actually begins to transform everything around it. And so what do I mean by that? I mean, like, if we would just go all in with Jesus, and I say, well, how, how, how far is too far? I don't think there's far enough, okay? And so whatever part, like, I feel like I'm burning bright for Jesus, but I also ask him every day, it's search my heart, oh God, like David prayed, because if I'm holding something back, I just... Lord, whatever proverbial line there is that needs to be crossed, I just want to cross that line no matter what the cost is. Because if I do that, it's going to encourage April and Ethan to burn brighter for Jesus. I just know that first 
firsthand. It will encourage them to burn brighter. And therefore, the kids in my son's class at will, the people at my wife's work at will, you get the idea, so on and so forth. So then it becomes more than revival. It actually becomes transformational. It becomes an awakening, if you will. It becomes like a reformation, a reforming of everything around it. So like, what is he talking about today? I believe God is tasking us to, I, I don't, let me see. I think the Lord's beginning to give us language for what he's doing here so that we understand it and so we can begin to articulate what he's doing. He's like, what's God doing at this church? I don't know. Well, he's beginning to give language. And if we have language, we can articulate. If we can articulate, it can begin to usher in transformation. So longest, weirdest introduction I think I've ever done, but that's all right. We're going to look the next few weeks at Acts Chapter 2, if you will, I'm going to just camp out in two passages today. I want you to look at Acts 2, 42 through 7, 2, 42 through 47. And if you want to, you can go ahead and open up the Mark chapter 1 as well. And that's where uh, I believe the Lord would have us be today. So as they were talking about the new believers, it's right after Pentecost Sunday and 3,000 got saved, and which is really interesting they think that there were probably 6,000 people there and half of them got saved that day in Acts chapter 2, which is wild. Imagine 515,000 people getting saved in the Louisville metro area like in the next two minutes. That'd be pretty cool. I think it would. It says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were continuing continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing with them all, as anyone might have a need." Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. What would it look like if we begin to have favor with all the people? I'm not talking about having favor in the church where there's no church fighting. We really don't have, we, we actually don't have that at all here. I'm talking about gaining favor with government and city officials, right, where, where we begin to influence them. We end up influencing school boards and the important decisions that need to be made in our city gets made with a Christ perspective, not because we're blasting stuff on the Internet or Facebook or wearing some cheesy T-shirt or putting some sticker on the back of our car, but because the Christ in us, the hope of glory, begins to infiltrate our city. So anyway, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord, I love this, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Like, I want that. Not just, I, I don't want just day by day those being saved. Like, I want the whole thing right here that I'm reading. So what does a revival family look like? I think it looks like these few verses right here. It's like, you've heard me say, like, I don't want to just grow a church. Like, I want the church to increase in size, obviously, because that means hearts are being won to Jesus. Like, I want to build the kingdom. And I want it to be like, like it killed April today. She's like, I've got to go get my boy because this was really cool. He's like, I want you to come and pick me up so I can be home in time for youth group tonight, which is like really cool. He was excited about that. 
Why? He didn't want to miss. And I'm not putting any guilt, shame, or condemnation on anyone who misses, but wouldn't it be something where it felt like you actually missed out if you weren't there? Does that make sense? Like I'm, I'm, anyway, Jesus, I need your help. So what does it look like? It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. They were continually, it means to persist and to persist with a high degree of devotion. <laughs> it means to serve personally and it means to be faithful. They were, they were being faithful to the teaching of the apostles, which is teaching is the instruction, the doctrine. And it actually means that they were content with what was taught. Now, I, let me say this. Like, I don't think that you're going to agree with everything that's taught here. And I'm okay with that. Like, I think I'm right. <laughs> but you don't have to agree. But it meant that they were so content, which meant that they weren't saying, I need to go to somewhere else because I want to find something that tickles the way that I think and believe more. It actually says that I'm actually, I believe what this is going on. I believe that there's value to this thing and I'm going to give my life to it is actually what it's saying right here. And then it says, oh goodness, teaching and to fellowship, which fellowship, we like that word. We need some fellowship, brother. We say stuff like that in the church. We need fellowship, which really means we want to have a potluck, right? We're, oh. I don't mind them here. I don't mind them here, but I will. I'm not going to lie. Like if I ever teach pastors on small church 101, I'll be like, go to the end of line during fellowships, or or, or that way all the food's eaten before you go through the line. But anyway, that's not funny. It means to share. It means to have participation. It, it actually means this. It means to be so close to the person sitting next to you that you can't picture doing life without them. Like, I look at this room, and I see people that's moved here. Neil, Jairus, Milton, Rita, you all. I think of the Crestwood folks that are here now. Like, I... Think of Valerie came when Rob came because of a Facebook ad. Like I, like I could not picture having church. And if I'm not mentioning you, it's not because I'm just trying to move forward here. But I could not picture going to church with a different group of people. Why? Well, for lack of a better way, I love you. And I'm not just saying that because I'm supposed to. I actually mean it. Like this idea of fellowship. Like the world is clamoring for it. That's why we have stuff called social media. And I'm not talking social media. I happen to like it and think it's a useful tool. I think it can be perverted and used incorrectly. But people are clamoring and dying for close interpersonal relationships. And I look around and think, I don't want to do this without you guys. Like, I don't. It's like, I'm not waiting anxiously by the phone to hope, I, like, take me somewhere else, Lord. I, you know, if I, if I could be confessed, I've done that before in the past. It's like, no, this is what we're doing, and we're going to give our life to this thing. And we're going to fellowship with one another. And we're going to get all up in each other's business, whether you like it or not. Now, that's, that's hard for my family, if I'm truthful. We got burnt a couple of times. You let people in, and sometimes they burn you really, really badly. 
Like, I'm way off my notes, and that's okay. This is just real right here. You get hurt really badly, and, and I, I, I know, because I know sometimes not just pastors get burnt badly, but church people get burnt badly with relationships. And you're afraid to let someone in, or you're like, well, that's personal, and this and that. And I'm not telling share your deepest, darkest secrets. I'm just saying, let's get to the point to where we can't picture living life without the people that we're sitting next to the pews in with. Why? Because that's the way the Lord wanted it in the first place. That's the way he wanted it in the first place. Like, it's like, well, I attend this church. Well, that's wonderful. But how well do you know the people sitting next to you? And like, I'm getting convicted saying that, right? How well do you know this person? How well do you know that person? And you may not, you may not drive and put, I mean, like, I, we were talking, I think it was two weeks ago. Like, Logan, I love him. Like, he's my brother. But he's kind of a redneck. He's kind of a country boy. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. But I couldn't picture doing anything else next to someone else, right? You understand? What, how's that possible? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It's because of Jesus in there. Does that make sense? Like there's a common, like I look around, like someone asked me this past week, I was in Indiana, and they were asking about the demographics of our church. And they're like, well, what's your youngest person? And, and not counting the children. I'm like, ah, probably 22, 23 years old. How old's your oldest? 72, 73, I, you know, probably somewhere in there, I'm guessing. I don't, you know, and they're like, well, is there a good mix in between? Yeah, we got everyone, all shapes, sizes, ages, you know, it doesn't matter. Why? <laughs> like, that doesn't make sense. It's not a millennial church. It's not a Generation X church. It's just a church filled with people hungry for the presence of the Lord. That's what's going on in this passage. Into the breaking of bread, sharing a meal and communion. And, and, and it says that, and to prayer, which indicates a dependence on God with a hopeful future and a desire for the advancement of God's work. So they weren't just saying, bless this meal to the nourishment of our bodies today, Jesus. They were just going to say, they were saying, we're going to give ourselves to this because we're hopeful for what the future holds. Even though it's like hell right now because we're dying left and right and we're about to die left and right. Because if you read the rest of the story, that's what happens. But they continued to meet. They continued to pray. They continued to look forward with hope and a desire for the advancement of the Lord's work. Now, I read these things and I think, how in the world can anyone continually do something? Let's be honest, like I caught myself the other day. I caught myself. I actually got really convicted and I actually just deleted this, but I downloaded this app that told me how many times I checked my phone in one day. It's bad. It was bad and even told me how many times I opened up Facebook in a day. I was like... I've had 12 hours of this thing and I saw those and I was like, I don't need to see anymore. 
Like, like we have a hard time doing something continually. Like we're having a conversation and I feel the need to check this. And I'm talking about myself here, right? Or, or, or like some sports, professional sports teams are giving their players social media breaks so they can go and take a break from running their wind sprints and go check their, because so, they can't continually. But like, how do you do this in today's society? As I'm reading it, how do you continually devote yourself to anything, right? So, and then it says, how do we get people to listen to the apostles' teaching? Like, let's be honest, like most that are in authority, like they're constantly criticized and ridiculed. And, and I'm not taking a stand if I'm right or left or pro or for or against, but there's no way I would ever want to run for president of the United States. That's like asking everyone and your brother to disagree with me on no matter what I said. Now, I'm not making a statement if I'm for or against. I'm saying that that person in authority is always questioned, right? People struggle listening to authority figures. Uh, how do we get people genuinely into fellowship because we're busy and we're so public with what we share, but we're also very private as well now as we are. And um, anyway, and then how do we get people to pray? Like real prayers, not bless this Big Mac to the nourishment of my body, but like, you know, which seems, and I'm, I'm really bad about doing that too, but that just seems really hypocritical. Bless this thing that's going to kill me <laughs> to the nourishment of my body. But anyway, how do we do that? Well, I think it's a few chapter, or a few verses before. It's Acts 2.14. Now, I typically read from the New American Standard. I want to read from the Passion Translation right here. It says, this is how I believe they were able to do this. It says, all of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day, gripped with one passion. That phrase has really been messing with me quite a bit. What does it mean to be gripped with one passion? I think to be gripped with one passion is how all of this works. It's, it's, how, it's how a guy that loves to hunt and a guy that, whose dad used to hunt that I used to think it was a waste of time, truthfully. I'm like, if I want to go hunt, I'm going to go to aisle five at Kroger and get it nice and packaged and good for me, right? Like, like 73% lean beef, whatever. I'm going to go there to get what I need. But how does this work? It's to be gripped by one passion. Well, what's that one passion? The presence of God. It's like, what's this church about? It's like... It's about the presence of the Lord. And not just in our meetings, but when you're with one another. Like when we're sitting around a campfire, or if you're sitting there watching a movie, or if you're playing cards or doing something. You don't play cards, it's Nazarenes. But if you're doing something, you're doing something together, right? If we're walking across, like, like if April and I walking across the bridge, a big four, which we really like to do. We're not just walking across the bridge. We're walking across the bridge with Jesus because he's right there in the midst of us, right? So it's being aware of the presence of God all the days of our life, anywhere and everywhere we go. And so I say this, like people's been asking, like, how, why are people moving to your church? And I'm like, it's not because of the preaching. I'm like, well, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. It's like, I preach long sermons. Like they tell you preach 25-minute sermons now in seminary. And I'm like, well, that's my introduction. You need to preach three points. Like this one has seven points today, and sometimes I think none of some of them have no points. But you get the point. You get the point. But it, 
It's the obsession with the presence of the Lord. Someone asked, like, you getting people moved from all around the country? And then I started sharing about Cox's. I'm like, yeah, we got lay people driving three hours or putting their house up for sale to come here. Why? Because the presence of God. It's not because we're advertising. It's not because we're slick. It's not because of this. That, it's because the presence of the Lord. And I believe the Lord is given a framework that being obsessed, revival families are obsessed with the presence of the Lord. Look at Mark 1. Mark 1. I'm going to read verses 29 through 34, and then we're going to really take off and cover a lot of ground really quickly. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came to the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, and now Simon's mother, uh, mother-in-law, <laughs> not his mother, his mother-in-law, was lying sick with a fever. And immediately Jesus and they spoke to Jesus about her. And immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. So they actually love their mother-in-law. I do too. <laughs> You're going to get in trouble. <laughs> and he came to her and he raised her up, taking her by the hand. And the fever left her. And she waited on them. So this is so crazy. So, so here's the mother-in-law sick in bed. She's dying. And the picture is Jesus actually stands over her. And, and the way it reads is he says, get up, like really beautifully and lovingly. He says, get up. She gets up and she goes, start serving immediately because her health was immediately restored. And when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill, those who were demon possessed, and the whole city gathered at the door. And he healed many, poor translation, actually it means all who were ill with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Now, I love this. So here's this picture. Jesus heals the mother-in-law. This is on the Sabbath, and it's actually after sundown because it said they, good Jews wouldn't have left the house or carried the sick anywhere because it would be considered work, and they broke the law. They didn't want to break the law. So it's been really late at night. People start showing up at this door. It says, when evening came after the sun set. Hmm. So we know that. The news about the presence of Jesus in that house, meeting the needs that had to be met, spread exponentially. What's that mean for us? I think it just means if we get obsessed with the presence of Jesus being in our midst, that's the best form of advertisement that we could ever have. Amen. presence of God, the presence of Jesus, the obsession of it actually draws others near. It says they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon possessed. Bringing is an interesting word. It actually means to carry people. Like I love people, but I'm probably not going to lift anyone up and physically carry them anywhere. I'm just not going to. But they heard that there was a man in that house that was laying hands on sick people, that was delivering them of evil spirits and demons. And they thought maybe, maybe if we can just get in his presence, that whatever need my friend or family member or loved one has, maybe, just maybe, that need will get met as well. What would it look like if we began to 
we hit that moment right after Tatum this morning repented openly. We hit that moment and we host and we steward that moment so well that it just begins to draw people in. It begins to draw people in. And then, not only that, what if we hit those moments in our day-to-day lives when we're alone with the Lord or when we're with fellowshipping with one another and then you don't understand that you're at aisle five in Walmart and you begin to draw a crowd. Why? Because Jesus is there in the midst of you and the lost and the hurting and the broken get drawn to you simply because he's there. Like, I want that. That sounds amazing. The news about casting out the demon and the healing of Peter's mother-in-law had spread all over Capernaum. And, and I think this is a really interesting picture because I, I'm using the word obsessed because I felt like I, I wrote that down on my notes and I thought that kind of jars me. Like, I'm not sure if that's good language to use. Sometimes I agonize over words I use when I preach. I thought, that's not a good word. That's jarring me. But then I thought maybe we need to be jarred because the, the spirit of religion says you can't be obsessed with that because you don't want to be excessive and take it too far. Like, like when we worship, someone asked me, if, if it must have been three weeks ago, they're like, and, and Logan's got it down really good. Like, he, he gives me a hard time about doing this when I get really going, when I get worshiping. But someone said, why do you dance? You're Nazarene. I'm like, well, I don't really dance. I don't dance inappropriately. I just, when I'm here, it's like, how can my feet stand still when I know what he brought me out of, right? You understand what I'm saying? It's like, it's like I'm not going to be all prim and proper. And it may make some people uncomfortable, but I, I'm sorry. Like, I want to worship him and let him know what he has done for me. And that the line says to do this like this, I'm going to cross the line every single day of my life because he's worth it. Now, if you're like, if this is excessive or obsessive for you to stand there like this, by all means do it. If it's to sit down in your seat, by all means do it. Whatever it is, whatever that line is for you, I say just go for it with everything that you have because he is absolutely, absolutely worth it. So I'm going to say, well, you can't have a 40-minute worship set. Why not? Because in heaven, there's 24-7 worship going on around the throne. And we believe Matthew 6.10, which says, pray on earth that it is in heaven. So maybe, just maybe, if it never ends there, what would it look like? Like to live a lifestyle where it never ends here. We may not always be gathered around this room as Logan's leading us, but I'm going to worship him when I'm walking through the parking lot. I'm going to worship him when I'm alone in my house. I'm going to worship him when I'm walking around my neighborhood and I'm praying and asking God to touch and heal and flood the neighborhood with his presence. If that's obsessive, I'm all in, man. You can't fast that much. Yes, I'm going to, because I want to stir up a hunger in me for more of him. (laughs) You can't give that much. Yes, I can, because he's worth it. And every time I give, I'm not preaching a given message, but every time I give, Bill Johnson says that I deploy soldiers to advance the kingdom of God. Can't serve that much because you're going to be tired and worn out. Well, maybe if he's my strength, maybe I can. (laughs) See what I'm saying? Like I'm just saying that religion says do not get obsessed and do not do not go all in. And I'm saying Jesus is the same. Would you just get obsessed and go all in and give me everything that you have? Why? Because it's worth it. Like I've done, man. I've done the whole things. Like I did the whole things. Like 
And, and again, if you do this, that's, that's, I'm not saying this is wrong, but I've like written the check where I did it out to the penny. Like I'd write a tie check for $222.18 because that was exactly my 10%. <laughs> Lord convicted and said, oh, that's whatever. I'm just saying, go all in. Yeah. Not on giving, on him. Yes. Yes. He's worth it, man. He gives us permission to go after him at all costs. Well, what if people think you're weird? That's all right. I'm good with that, right? Or what if people, like, like, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I have never had a person that did not know the Lord get offended because I love the Lord. You know who gets offended because I love the Lord? Church people. I'm serious. My neighbors, they know I love Jesus. They ask me about Jesus. Do they know Jesus? They don't know Jesus. But they sure think it's amazing that we do. And I think one day they will know him. I just want to burn bright for him. If he looks at me with eyes like burning fire, I want to look at him with those exact same eyes. Because as he is, so am I in this world. All right. The presence of God, if we obsess over it and we host it well, it actually releases healing. Oh, how do we know that? Because that's what happened in Mark chapter 1. <laughs> it says, and he healed many who were, and again, that's a poor translation. It means all who were ill with various diseases. Various actually means any conceivable disease. They were brought to the door. And he cast out many demons. He was not permitting demons to speak because they knew who he was. By the way, and, and the Lord had convicted me on this a while ago, but when I share testimony, I only share about one out of every ten testimonies that happens now. Because I felt like that I was drawing too much attention to myself. And so it just, it's like, all right, Lord, if you want to heal someone on the street, you heal someone on the streets. I don't have to tell people. That's why Jesus wasn't doing it. He was trying to bring glory to his Father. That's why he wasn't letting them talk. But anyway, that's free. So imagine this picture. It's late at night. Word gets out that the Lord is there. That the presence of God is there. They may not be able to articulate that's what it is, but they knew something was different. It's late at night. It's probably, it's a Sabbath night, so it's, it's Saturday night. But anyway, they're getting ready to go work the very next morning. They have to get up bright and early when the sun goes up. And they're like, it's 11 o'clock at night. I have to get to this house. And it actually says the whole city was gathered at the door. And I looked up the, the words whole city. It actually means the entire city. Now that's unfathomable to think about. So then I started putting myself in this story. What would it look like for 1.2 million people in the metro area to be lined up outside the door because the presence of God was here to such a degree that they knew that whatever need they had, that if they could just get into that environment or near someone that loved them to that degree, what would it look like if they came and said, I don't know what y'all got, but what y'all got, I absolutely have to have because it's going to meet my need. And I'm, like some of you are like, well, we, it's, it's a tiny space. Well, that's okay. They can form a single file line, whatever. <laughs> I'm saying that when he is there, it draws a crowd. <laughs> Man, that's so stinking good. Like it's mind boggling to think. I dream. And again, it's not building the church. It's about building the church. It's about building the kingdom. Okay? So when I say stuff like this, don't think he's trying to look like 
I'm trying to say this in the most humble way, like when we were called to come here, before we came, we were, we were on the, we were climbing the denominational ladder. And when we said we're called to plant the church, we had people say, you're throwing away your career. I'm like, this isn't a career to me. This is a calling. I dream of days where, you know, it's Sunday. I got here about 6.45 this morning. I dream of the day when there's a line out the door of people just saying, I need to get in. He's gone off the deep end. That's okay. If I'm in my right mind, it's for you all. And if I'm out of my mind, it's for Christ. That's what Paul said, so I'll go with that. But here's, here's the caution, and this will be the last point this morning. I, we'll do five out of the seven. <laughs> like, let me read the verse, and then I'll do the point. If you look at verse 35, so, so revival breaks out. The whole town's at the door. And verse 35 is just this amazing picture. So they would have been well into the wee hours of the morning. Jesus would have been ministering. Even if there was only a thousand people in the town. I I didn't look that up. But he'd been ministering. It had been a late night. Verse 35, it says early in the morning. What's that mean? It means early in the morning. (laughs) While it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house. And he went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. And they found him. And they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Well, no kidding. He just laid hands on every sick person in the city and they got healed. Of course, everyone's looking for him, right? Everyone's looking for you. And he said to him. Let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues all throughout Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Now, get this story. Get this. Jesus, the Word in flesh, right? Or God in flesh incarnate. He's there, the whole town comes, revival breaks out, and they have the most amazing knockdown, drag out church service they've ever had in their entire life. He was up really late, and then it says he gets up really early in the morning. I'm not telling you to get up really early morning. I'm just saying, let's just talk to Jesus. But he gets, he gets up, and he goes out to a secluded place, and he takes this posture. And actually, I've taught this before, somewhere else but actually when it says that he went away to pray it doesn't mean that he went like this it actually means that he got down and he laid on his face like this and he began to ask the Lord what do you want me to do today so we began to ask the Father what do I do what do I do what do I do we had an amazing church service last night the whole town everyone came they all got healed it was actually really cool We saw cancer healed. We saw fibromyalgia killed. We saw stomach pains killed. We saw tumors fall off. We saw blind eyes open. We saw, we saw all these things happen, Father. 
but I don't do anything unless you first tell me or you first speak it. And I don't do anything unless I first see you do it. So what are you going to tell me today? And the father speaks to him and says, you need to pack up shop when you need to go to the next place. Now let's be honest. Like me, being a preacher, I'm going to go. Well, we did 38 minutes of worship today and we sang four songs. And then we did our declaration. We did our tithes and offering and we transitioned like this and we used these couple of key word phrases like this and this. So let's go back and repeat it because it was such a good night the night before so that we can replicate the exact same results that we just got. Like, that's what I would do, right? And I've done it. And I'm not, <laughs> I think there is wisdom to learn what God has worked and what hasn't. I'm saying, let's not fully depend on that. Let's get along with the Lord. And let's listen to what he's saying. And then we go do that. Why do I say that? Because the Lord's doing something really special here. It's different. But if we're not careful, what's different can become the religious traditions of tomorrow and be dead and empty by tomorrow because the Lord's already moving on to something different. And I love what he's doing. I love what he's doing. Like if this thing fails, I mean, like I have no excuses because like this is what we love. And so I just want to tell us this morning that we get obsessed with the presence of the Lord. It draws people. But then also, let's obsess about it when we're by ourselves too. So that we always know what he's thinking and doing. We're going to miss it. I'm just going to give you permission. Miss it. Just repent when you miss it. I'm just going to forgive you. But let's go after it some more. Rob McCorkle, my mentor, says the greatest enemy to today's church service was last week's church service. Meaning, let's get it alone like Jesus did. And let's hear from the Father. See, the presence of the Lord, it'll minister to our hearts. It, it heals us. It gives us the direction we need. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's what we need. I don't think we need better teaching. I think we've had great teaching most of our lives. Some of y'all grew up in church and had excellent, excellent teaching. I, I know that. So a lot of y'all probably know the Bible really, really well. And there's a lot of people that, well, anyway, I won't say that. We need the presence. Because I think when we get into an environment like this, that's what actually begins to change us and transform us. It's like when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus and there was two guys there with him. And they walked for a really long time. And then Jesus finally reveals it. You know, ta-da, it's me. <laughs> and he didn't say ta-da, I wish he would have. But he said, were your hearts not burning? You know, I just want to be aware that he's there. 
And it starts with that. It comes from this. Starts or is sustained with this. I just won't miss it, man. So I just want to spur us on. Pray to the Lord. Now, I'm not telling you, and you can lay on your face if you want. You can stand up. You can pray when you're driving. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how long it is. Whatever it is, it probably should be a little bit longer than what you're probably currently doing. But <laughs> just saying, but it doesn't matter how long it is. What matters is that you're doing this. Because that's what he's doing. And then when we get together and we do this together, oh my goodness, it just starts drawing all kinds of people in. It's like, why'd you move that church? Jesus is there. Isn't he at the other church? Yes, he is. But my heart didn't beat like it did because I was here. <laughs> my kids weren't given the free. You understand? Anyway, I can go on and on and on, folks. I'm saying, let's obsess over it. Let's obsess over it. Let's get alone with him. And whatever he says there, let's just do it. Amen? All right. I think the horse is dead. I have sufficiently beat him to death on that. And so I think we should probably pray. It's probably a good idea. Amen? And then after we pray, we'll receive, uh, we're going to do some announcements and take up our tithes and offerings, and then we're going to go, okay? And when we go... <laughs> It's not like, see you, Jesus. You know, we're not, we're not going to leave him here. We're going to go with him, all right? <laughs> oh, man. I heard this story. I heard this story. I was thinking of this. I heard this story on how Will Smith met Michael Jackson for the first time. And when, Mike, when Will left, Michael said, bye, Will. But anyway, like, I think that's what we do with Jesus sometimes. Anyway, that was stupid. That's so dumb. <laughs> Jesus, you're really good. And I love what you're doing amongst this church. I love that we have people moving here. I'm very, I'm just unapologetic about it. Like, I think it's the coolest thing in the world. That we've had six families move, and then we've had a seventh, if you count the rights. And not only that, I think it's really amazing how you're drawing complete strangers, either through social media, people's found out, or and one family's mother came and attended a Mother's Day service, and we gave her a picture, and, and now they're here serving. <laughs> Just blown away by what you do. I'm so thankful for what you're doing. I'm so thankful to be part of it. I can't picture doing this without anyone else. Without